So in May of 1982, the girls were tried on 16 counts of burglary. Burglary. You said it right. Burglary. <laughs> burglary. Burgatory. The girls were tried. Theft. Good morning, good day, and good evening. Good evening. <laughs> good morning, good day, and good evening. And good night. Good night. Welcome to the Insomnia Report episode 37. I'm behind. I'm behind. I definitely thought it was 36. And I'm. That was because last yeah, week you thought it was 35. I know, I know. I'm going to okay. change that in my. Talk <laughs> my notes. Uh, if this is your first time listening, welcome. If you have listened before, welcome back. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for listening. I'm Margo. And I'm Elizabeth. And we are the two friends and roommates that like to talk about the things that keep us up at night. night. We got a wild card for you. What will it be? I have no idea what you're going to talk about. Same to you. Ooh, same to you good, good sir <laughs> well i mean that's the case every week but right. you know i mean yeah but now it's just so much more broad right because it could be anything be anything and it just it takes me so long i always bounce around between like three different ones it's it's actually amazing that i get anything done because i'll do like an hour of one thing and i'm like okay i'm gonna do something else yeah then i do an hour of something else it's very difficult to choose topics it is it is so, I will light the candle. Do you want to tell me about okay. your week? I hate to bring this up again. Uh-oh. But the, the bachelorette. No. okay. <laughs> Trumpet. I don't know. No, no, no. It was saxophones. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. We were no. talking about ASMR. It was like, okay, anyway. So, yes. The bachelorette. Well, this is important. I think about it more than I would like to, especially because we started watching it ironically. That is also what keeps me up. We're like, let's just do it. It will be funny. We'll make a drinking game. And now... And now we don't drink when we watch it. We just eat a lot of popcorn and we roast the people on TV. It's actually quite entertaining. Except for Katie because we love her. We love her. But no, every time they release the cast list, we go through all of them and we're like, okay, this person looks like he peaked in high school and he'll never let you forget about it. And <laughs> we're not bullies. We it's, it's mm. We're not... Well... They can't hear us. They can't. They can't hear we're us. We're not. We're not. Oh, shit. Am I a bad person? I don't think so. We're, we're like lightly roasting them. We're not in like. In the privacy of our own home. Right. We're not like this person's like. We're not like. I don't know. Okay. So we watched with uh, one of our friends. We watched an episode of Ben's season mm -hmm. and the girls on that season right were making so fun mean. of another girl for the way her toes looked like she we're not fat doing toes. that like that's no. mean like who does no, we that we don't talk about anyone's appearance yeah I mean we judge them initially but then we okay well I don't like Carl I'm not a fan 
no let, let the record show Mm-mm. i never i didn't like him from day one i will say yeah and no I, he's I bad right. news bad news bears bad news so yeah, yeah i just spent a lot of time going through bachelorette memes but okay but let's talk about andrew for a second because he is literally mm. perfect for elizabeth I because know. he spends half of his year in vienna, vienna and half Austria. of his year in chicago yeah so i don't a i don't know how we haven't met him b vienna of all places like that's elizabeth that's elizabeth's thing that's her he wears turtlenecks too he does wear turtlenecks and that is a kink that what Uh. no that's a thing that's a thing that we are into we like turtlenecks. it's the thing i like wearing turtlenecks i like men who wear turtlenecks they look nice on other people they do so when people wear it i'm all every time we see someone wearing a turtleneck we're like he's wearing a turtleneck (laughs) oh my god they're they're underappreciated. People don't know about turtlenecks. Right. But everyone should try it. Yes. It's, or a mock neck if you're not feeling yeah. that dangerous, you know? Yeah. You can ease your way. Like you could slowly just start to get ones that are like longer and longer <laughs> and eventually your entire face will get covered. <laughs> like And then it's called a cowl head. neck. <laughs> oh yes, you're mm. right. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. what's been keeping you up i've been wanting to tell you this but i was like i'm gonna save it for the podcast so i don't know if i've talked about this like in full detail but i'm afraid of mirrors Mm -hmm. like they creep me out something about them i'm just very unsettled by it and i had the worst dream of my life the other night oh my god because i had a dream it was one of those dreams where you think you're like awake, but you're actually sleeping. And sometimes I actually like fall asleep with my contacts in or whatever, or oh, I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. let me go wash my face or I'm like, oh, it's 2 a.m., whatever. So in my dream, I walk to the bathroom and I'm like washing my face and I decide to play rock, paper, scissors with myself, Girl. but the person in the mirror won. <gasps> and then I woke up. Oh my god, that's terrifying! <laughs> I hated it. I hated it what, so much. What was there? Um, I woke up in a cold sweat. Oh my god! What was their rock paper scissor move? Was it like they, rock, they, they picked scissors? And you had I had paper. <gasps> I don't know what that means, but oh my god, that's scary. Well, no, I don't I'm, like uh, that. Does that mean I'm gonna die by scissors? I I don't know. I guess that's better than dying by like a thousand paper cuts. Oh, what a way to go. Oh, God. Or like, what do they do in like Jesus times? Like they would just put stones on you until you No. Yeah. I mean, okay. I don't want to like, I hope my death is very peaceful and I don't feel it. Yeah, please. Anyway, it was a bad dream. So that definitely, I I seriously, I woke up in a panic. I almost like called off work because I was so, had a weird. Yeah. Anyway, I woke up in a cold sweat and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so scary. So. Yeah. Anyway, so that kept me up. I didn't like that. (laughs) Oh my god. But no, I will never play rock paper scissors again. Okay, better not. Just to be safe. Just to be safe. Next time someone picks scissors, I'm gonna be like, (gasps) (gasps) it's you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The match tip is blue. Oh. Oh. Sparky. All right. Candles lit. Tell me something wild. Knock my socks off. All right. I hope it does the trick. So this is a story that I kept returning to. I would like start to research it and then I would put it to the side for one reason or another. I think it was just something that 
you know, certain ones you're like, okay, I could like knock this out. And certain mm-hmm. ones you're like, I need to either be in the right headspace to do it or I need to do more research for it. So it's just one that I like I kept it in my like the front of my files, you mm-hmm. know, like I, I, I was like, okay, like someday, someday. Today's that day. So Gloria and Aubrey Gibbons were married and they were native to Barbados. Aubrey was a member of the Royal Navy and they actually ended up moving to Wales in 1960. In 1963, they had twin girls. Their names were Jennifer and June Gibbons. June was born first, then Jennifer was born 10 minutes later. Growing up, June and Jennifer were late speakers and they didn't actually start forming full sentences until the age of three. So pretty late start. As they got older, they both shared a speech impediment, which made them hard to understand. And on top of that, they were always asked to repeat themselves. And it's pretty uncommon for twins to have a speech impediment or for Mm. like even siblings to, it's typically just like one thing. Mm -hmm. So eventually the girls would stay quiet and they would just not talk anymore. They actually even created their own language that only they could understand. Oh. Now, it turns out this is not uncommon for twins. According to the National Library of Medicine, this is called autonomous language, and it's apparent in about 40% of twins. I cannot imagine being a twin. No, I I can't either. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a, I read a lot of twin facts, let me tell you. (laughs) Okay. But, so so that's not uncommon. However, it's something that typically doesn't last long, and it's something that goes away once children start to develop more language skills. But that wasn't the case for June and Jennifer. They had this language, like, throughout their adolescence and, like, life. They remarked it was sort of a game for them at first because they kind of got annoyed when people would always ask them to repeat themselves. So they said, quote, if you can't hear us then, you won't hear us again. When they went to school, they were bright students, they were well-behaved, but they didn't speak to anyone but each other. And it kind of made their teachers confused. Uh, Some of them were upset by it and some of them got frustrated because it could kind of I'm sure come off as a rebellious thing if you're constantly ignoring someone or like please just talk or Mm -hmm. this was also like in the 60s so I don't know what that has to do with anything but you know it's it's like come on just speak like why can't you just talk because they were from a military family they moved around a lot, which kind of also made it hard for them to build connections. So not only are they not talking, but they couldn't really open up to people because they just knew that, you know, maybe in a year or two or a couple of months, they would move to another town and another school. What's more is they were constantly being bullied, not just for, you know, being quiet, but because they were the only black girls in like any of their schools because they oh. were in Wales. Yeah. Um They were actually bullied so much that they were allowed to leave school five minutes early to avoid their other classmates. Oh, my God. That's horrible. Why not punish the other classmates? 
I guess it was just a different time or it was more of a like rub some dirt on it or I guess it was just nice that they even let them leave. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But um, so at this point, they're about eight and they stop talking or making eye contact to anyone, even their parents. They wouldn't talk to their teachers, their peers, their older siblings, or as I mentioned, their parents, even though they had previously replied to family members before. They would talk to each other in their own language, uh, to their dolls, and sometimes their little sister, if she played dolls with them, because all of them shared a room. But then when their little sister, Rosie, got her own room, they stopped talking to her, too. Oh, my gosh. June and Jennifer were so in sync that everything they did was in unison. They would walk in the same stride. They would eat at the same time, so they would lift their forks at the same time. They would do things, like, in perfect unison. It's kind of creepy. It is kind of creepy. Their school medical examiner, which I guess we would call our nurse, I'm speculating. Mm. His name was Dr. John Reese. And he came around one day because all the children at school needed to get their tuberculosis shots. He recalled talking to them with the usual, okay, you might feel a little pinch or, or what have you. And when they received their injection, they didn't even flinch. Which is pretty unheard of in children. But he recalled it was like they were dolls almost in a trance. Like they, they didn't react or do anything. They're just. Oh my God. Which I think is uh, so creepy. Like That's if, creepy. Also like get them some help. <laughs> so Dr. Reese then said they were expressionless and he would try to talk to them. But he said it was pointless and he had never seen anything like it. So he expressed this to the headmaster who kind of shrugged and said, well, I mean, they're not making any trouble, you know, it's, but, sir. I mean, this was before, like, mental health was. I, yeah, I no, but I yeah. I guess they're like, well, they they don't, like, yell or any. It's like, that's the, pro- you see, <laughs> they don't do anything. <laughs> right. Sir. So it was then recommended that they were assessed by a childhood psychiatrist named Evan Davies, and they were officially diagnosed as elective mutes. So the doctor said they would not speak, and he couldn't even tell them apart. He referred the girls to a speech therapist named Anne Threehern. So still, even in her weekly sessions with them, the girls didn't speak. And according to an article from The New Yorker, when Anne was in the room, she sensed that June wanted to speak to her, but she was stopped by eye signals from Jennifer, and it seemed like Jennifer was controlling June's actions. Oh, my God. It was recalled that Jennifer sat with an expressionless gaze, but she felt like she had some sort of like power or like energy or you know like when you're somewhere and you feel like someone's watching you it's like Mm -hmm. that or if someone's glaring at you it's like that sort of thing like she just had like this weird energy around her and Anne even thought she had like the thought enter her mind that June was possessed by her twin (gasps) she was like it was so controlling like she would just get a look and like June would like look down So at the age of 14, they were eventually sent 
off to Eastgate School for Special Education because none of the therapies or any other methods were working. So they thought maybe a more concentrated approach would help. What about like separating them? We'll get to that. Okay. Okay. One of their teachers was named Kathy Arthur, and she was reading about them before they were transferred and a bunch of notes from the different teachers and doctors and what have you. And all the notes about the girls said that they didn't speak at all or it was thought that they couldn't even speak or maybe they didn't even know English. And they gave off, quote, dumb insolence or they were secretive and they were negative and all this really negative stuff. Mm. However, the teacher said that when she met them, she really didn't get that impression at all. So there might have been a bias or Mm. maybe like even some of the – People at the other schools were like racist or, right. or what have you, or just like impatient with them. So, I mean, sure, they didn't talk, but it's not like they were malicious, you mm-hmm. know? So, she decided to set up a camera to record their progress through a two way mirror so the girls didn't know about it, which is kind of sketch. Yeah, is that ethical? <laughs> no, probably yeah, not. I don't yeah. think so. But, I think it was just to record the progress or or to see what was going on. So when she was in the room, they didn't speak. But when she would leave the room, they would. And she realized through her recordings that they were, in fact, speaking English when she slowed the tapes down. So they were, their secret language was a mix of English at a very rapid speed and Barbadian slang. Oh, wow. So that was their secret language. So there are tapes of the girls eventually doing their studies and working with the teachers. So eventually they built up like an openness to her over time. And at first they would, you know, read to a recorder when the teacher was out of the room. And eventually like in her presence, they would say like a word here or there. But it still wasn't enough progress for them to you know, this this continued for a while, but it wasn't enough progress for people to be satisfied. Mm-hmm. So after a while, all of the teachers, doctors, psychiatrists, they they had a little powwow and they wanted to discuss this progress. And there were a lot of different doctors involved, so I'm not going to name like every name because I don't want it to get confusing. But they collectively decided that they would try to separate them as they couldn't come up with a treatment that was actually effective. So Jennifer would remain at Eastgate, and then June would be sent to St. David's Adolescent Unit, which was 30 miles away. Wow. So it was therapist Tim Thomas who would break the news to the girls, and when he said that they were going to be separated, they went absolutely berserk. So they started attacking each other, they Attacking were, each other? Yeah. They were running around his office, like, shrieking. And according to the article, June ripped out a chunk of Jennifer's <gasps> hair, and Jennifer dug her nails into June's cheek. Oh, my God. The next day, after they simmered down, <laughs> Thomas actually gets a phone call, and it's June and Jennifer. And it turns out they can speak, and they say to him, if you let us stay together, we promise you we will start talking. Oh, my gosh. So the next day, Thomas sees the girls, and they don't talk. They're just back to silence and looking down and not Mm. making eye contact. 
So in March of 1978, they were separated. And this plan kind of backfired. Oh, no. When they were apart, they became catatonic. (gasps) It was said that it would take two people to get June out of bed, and all they could do was prop her against the wall because her body was stiff and heavy like a corpse. Oh, my God. So in the winter of 1979, like six months after this, the girls were 16, and June was sent back to Eastgate, and... Then eventually, a couple years later, they left the school and they never returned. So they filed for unemployment and they shut themselves off in their bedroom. They lived at home, but their parents never saw them. They never talked to them. They never interacted with them except like here and there. Gloria would leave meals for them at their door or slip letters under the crack of their door. The girls would write letters to their dad asking like to watch a a certain show at a certain time. So they would be like, oh, well, The Bachelor's on at 7. Can you make sure it's on? So he would turn it on at the certain channel and they would watch it from their room. So in diary entries, it expressed that they felt bad about this. They felt sorry that they were not talking to their parents and they prayed to God to give their family strength for this, which is pretty weird because I don't know why... It, it's one of those situations where you know what you're doing is bad and hurting other people, but you do it anyway, and you're like, I'm so yeah. sorry. Like, I, I don't mean anything by this, but, like, I hope they can forgive me. So, but, it, like, it's your choice to stay in your room. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's so, it's bizarre. But, but something that the girls turned to was writing. They were very into writing, and for Christmas one year, Gloria gave the girls leather-browned journals. And then they kind of went on a creative kick, and they filled dozens of journals with different poems, essays, novels, you name it. But that was kind of their outlet. And they hoped that they would become famous for their writing, but they kind of didn't really have a lot of success from it, but at least they were doing something with their life. I, that was mean. But I'm glad that they found a creative <laughs> outlet. Yeah. So June wrote a self-published novel called The Coca-Cola Addict. Here's the plot. It's about a teen boy from Malibu, and he yearned to live in other places. This main character was seduced by his teacher. <laughs> he joined a gang. He spent time in jail, and then he returns to his family and dies of an overdose. Oh, my God. It didn't do very well. <laughs> <laughs> I um, can't imagine why. And then Jennifer wrote one novel called the Pugilist, and it's about a character who goes in for heart surgery, and he's given a transplant, but the transplant is the heart of his dog, <laughs> and the surgeon was his father, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Um, another novel that she wrote was called Discomania, where a bunch of teens are controlled by their need for disco music. Same. So, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, my life, it was basically my autobiography. So, I mean, they didn't make it as writers. I mean, yeah. I, I, okay. I, like, in Jennifer's uh, diary, she even wrote, like, oh, this one will be a hit for sure. And, and no. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, the plots are odd, but I give them props for, you know, thinking outside the box. Sure, sure. You got to start somewhere. The Pugilist. <laughs> 
Um, so, okay, so now they turn 18 and they start to get, like, you know, urges to do more in life. And I guess since their dreams of being famous writers didn't really work out, uh, they ended up reconnecting with a boy that went to Eastgate with them. And they really admired this guy because in school he stood up for them one time. So they ended up, like, reconnecting with him. And he had a bunch of brothers. And in one of the books about the twins, they had uh, pseudonyms. So I'm just going to call them, like, the Kennedy boys. Mm -hmm. So because that's how they were referred to in the book. Okay. So... They were really drawn to them because they were from America and they were these like handsome white boys and like for the first time in their lives, the twins really felt seen. Mm -hmm. And Did they talk to them? Yeah, they like built it up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, June and Jen would spend hours getting ready and they spent all their money on taxis like going to their place. And with these boys, they would start like drinking. And in their diaries, one of them wrote, God must have wanted me to have alcohol because it was the only way I would talk. Oh, that's kind of sad. It is kind of sad. But, you know, they went out, they drank a lot, they sniffed glue, that sort of thing. <laughs> like what you do as an 18-year-old. normal. Right? Don't do that. No, I did not. I do not condone. <laughs> like, no. Um, so, like, you know, they, they let loose and it was weird because when they would return home, everything would go back to normal. But this was kind of like an escape for them. Mm-hmm. So eventually, something would happen that would finally separate the twin girls. <gasps> After being positively identical in how they ate, they acted, they talked, they walked, Jennifer did something that June did not. Jennifer lost her virginity to Ooh. one of the Kennedy boys. Um, there's a... Okay, like I... So I'm conflicted about this because I'm... There's a lot of, like, their diary entries, and I feel kind of bad about reading their diary. Yeah. But it's, like, it's published, you know? It's not like yeah. I, like, found it under her bed, and I was like, Elizabeth, oh, my God, you'll never guess what Jennifer did. So, right. anyway, this is what she wrote about that night. Okay. <clears throat> Dear diary, one of the best – should I do it in a British accent because they're from Wales? <laughs> Dear diary, one of the best days of my sweet life – I lost my beautiful virginity. <laughs> virginity. <laughs> I've lost my beautiful virginity to Kyle Kennedy. At last, it hurt a lot, but it happened. There was lots of blood. Oh we God. did it in church. I'm in sorry. church? <laughs> sorry, God. Your friend, Jenny. We she really wrote that? Yeah. Oh, my God. We did it in a church. <laughs> I'm sorry, God. In the church. Who did it in a church? I'm sorry, God. Oh Your friend, Ginny. So this shook June. This positively, like, pained her. Oh she was God. so hurt by this. And she wrote in her diary, I'm seeing Jennifer for the first time like she's seen me. I think she is slow, cold, has no respect, talks too much. But she thinks I am the same. We're both holding each other back. There's a, is a murderous gleam in her eye. Dear Lord, I'm scared of her. She's not normal. <laughs> She's having a nervous breakdown. Someone is driving her insane. It's me. That was pretty good. Thank you. I tried. I feel, 
Was was that annoying that I did it in a British no, accent? No, but anyway, so that was her. She was upset. She was like, oh my God, like I guess it was just because I think it was just one of the maybe she wanted to do it first or like they had always mm, been the same yeah. and she felt kind of betrayed. It's kind of like if you're really close with someone and then they start to hang out with someone else and you mm. sort of feel like, oh, wait a minute, like you yeah. were my friend. Like, yeah. okay, like if you're, if you're like sibling has sex, like that's none of your business. I don't, mm. I, but I, I, everything I, I, was each other's business. Right. Like they did so. everything together. So, I mean, this really pained her though. June later went on to lose her virginity to one of the other brothers too, I guess. So she was like, no, no, I need to know. Okay. I need to know what this is like because she didn't want to, like, not. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting into a lot of detail, but anyway, I'm carrying on because okay. I don't need to talk about sex that much. I'm sorry. My mom listens to this. Okay. So that stage of their life was called Five Weeks of Fun because after five weeks, the Kennedy boys moved back to America. So they did a lot of, like, living oh. in those five weeks. So... That fall, they didn't really have anything else to focus on. They were kind of sad because the guys just left and, you know, they were finally starting to let loose. And it kind of took a toll on their mental health and not only that, but their relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. So they were really never the same after that. And they tried so hard to separate from one another, but it was like a relationship that they couldn't break out of. Like a codependent relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So here's some additional diary entries to better paint a picture. So this is June. She says, it's a love-hate relationship. She thinks I'm weak. Oh, wait, British accent. (laughs) It's a love-hate relationship. She thinks I'm weak. She knows not how I fear her. This makes me feel more weak. I want to be strong enough to split from her. Oh, Lord, help me. I'm in despair. Oh, no. Then she also says... I'm in enslavement to her, this creature who is with me every hour of my living soul. Enslavement to enslavement. this creature? Wow. I, that's powerful. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so then Jennifer, this is what Jennifer says. She should have died at birth. Oh, my God. Cain killed Abel. <gasps> no twin should forget that. Holy cow. Right? Okay, that oh, that's a lot more intense than the, oh my right, god. Right, like, so June is very pained by, like, you could, she's afraid of her sister. Yeah. And then Jennifer literally says, like, no, she should have died. Oh my god. And then Jennifer further says, she can't be my real twin. My real twin was born at the exact same time as me, has my rising sun, my looks, my ways, my dreams, my ambitions. He or she will have my weaknesses Failures, opinions. All this makes a twin. No difference. I can't stand differences. So you can that that really paints the picture of of the yeah differences between how they're feeling. So at this time, they eventually start to rebel in more ways than just drinking and having sex. I mean, when you're 18, I think that's pretty standard. Uh, so first, they started stealing bikes. And breaking into buildings, they stole books and glue for arts and crafts. No, um, they stole books and they wanted to sniff glue, I'm assuming. <sighs> they broke windows and would graffiti. And for an added adrenaline rush, if you call now for just nineteen ninety five, 
So they started calling the cops on payphones, reporting the crimes, but then they would run away before the cops could get to them. Oh, my God. So things would only escalate from there. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. One day, they ended up burning down a store in their town. It was a small tractor shop. Don't know why they targeted that, but they bought, like... Those tractors, they made. Man. I know. They do you dirty, you know? Yeah. Always side-eyeing, always like... <laughs> like, whatever <laughs> tractors sound like. <laughs> Gonna run me over with their giant wheels. Cutting grass. Yeah. No. Yeah, no. No. Yeah. Tractors, man. Tractors. <laughs> At first, they weren't caught. And what led them to being caught was... June wrote about it in her diary, and after the arson a few weeks later, a cop caught them breaking some windows, so then they were arrested, mm. and then their room was searched, and they found the diary entry that talked about the arson, and then the cops were like, wait, that was you? Like, the quiet one? Like, what? Oh, my gosh. So, in jail, so they're in jail now, and they're waiting for a trial, and you know, they once had the closest bond where they were inseparable, but now they could not stand the sight of one another. Oh, my God. In diary entries, they constantly talked about how they wanted the other one dead. In the spring, their lawyer hired a psychiatrist to evaluate the girls. And the first couple of sessions, they didn't speak at all. So then they tried phone calls where he would be in another room, and they would just, like, murmur, like, me, 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 you know, like like that. <laughs> like that. And uh, eventually the psychiatrist was like, look, I'm, tr- I'm trying to help you. Like, please just, just, okay, like not today, not now. Right. And he convinced them to meet in person. So when they did, the girls almost ripped each other apart. Oh, my God. And he evaluated that the girls needed treatment, not jail. Yeah. Smart. Smart. My God. This man for president. Thank you. Yes. Because that would be the worst thing for them. Like, they do not need jail. They need something. Yeah. And whatever is going on now is not good for them. Mm -hmm. In May of 1982, the girls were tried on 16 counts of burglary, theft, and arson. They pleaded guilty on the advice of their lawyers, and they were ordered to be detained at a place called Broadmoor indefinitely 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 oh my god and broadmoor was england's notorious maximum security hospital for the criminally insane oh my god pretty intense that seems like a lot for like okay so to me it kind of just feels like no one wanted to help them Mm. or so they're just like all right here you take them you know That's horrible. Because a lot of places probably didn't want to take them if they were convicted of arson or if Mm. they were constantly fighting with each other now. So it was probably just like the easiest solution to just be like, I don't want to deal with this anymore, which is really sad. So in June's diary entry, she said that she felt like she was spinning in circles. She said, sick, mental. (laughs) psychopathic imagine how i felt me a mental psychopath a dangerous evil ruthless criminal me at last my torment my self-consciousness my violence is known i am labeled now i know my fate 
June Allison Gibbons, aged just 19, going down in history as a psychopath. Wow. So then Jennifer said she kind of was looking forward to her new life at Broadmoor because she kind of thought it would be a fresh start and she would get, like, the help that they needed. Mm -hmm. So she wrote, Please, God, don't let me suffer as much in my new life as I have here. Let me be bold enough to speak openly. Let me trust the doctors and nurses and no longer be afraid of people. For the past seven months, I have been a soul with no hope. Don't let this disease paralyze me again. Please don't let it destroy my abilities, tying up my tongue like firewood. Well. Sadly, at Broadmoor, they were not necessarily treated well. They were put into separate wards, but it was said that when they were apart on separate areas of the hospital, they would still continue to mirror one another. Oh my gosh. How they were positioned, how they were when they were sleeping, if they were reading, the other one was reading. If one of them was crying, the other one was crying. That's so like at weird. separate rooms. Oh my god. Like a, in the hospital. Which give me chills. Yeah, oh my gosh. When Jennifer tried to communicate, she wasn't understood and she was given regular injections of Depixel, if I'm saying that correctly, which is an antipsychotic drug that caused her to have blurry vision and it made it hard for her to read and write, which was sort of her outlet. Yeah. And then June was given another antipsychotic medication and they were given like a lot of doses of it. Oh no. And June would go months without speaking and eventually she would only reply with an odd smile, which is really sad and yeah. kind of creepy. Oh my gosh. The sisters would then take turns on hunger strikes. So while they were sleeping in different quarters, they had social hour or like lunch together. So they spent all of their free time together. But they would take turns doing different hunger strikes. So, you know, for a couple of days, June wouldn't eat anything. And then a couple of days, Jennifer wouldn't eat anything. So they would like kind of switch off. Mm. They both attempted suicide a few times. Oh, no. So... They they didn't have a good time, and they thought, you know, after a couple a years, after a few years of this, they would eventually be released or at least taken out of maximum security, mm-hmm. but that didn't happen, and every time, you know, like every two years, it would be able to be renewed or reevaluated, and the doctors would just, like, extend it. Like, for no real reason, they would just be like, no, another two years. That's so cruel. So there's a woman named Marjorie Wallace, and she was a journalist for the London Sun-Times. She heard about the twins from a friend who was a friend of one of the therapists that worked with them. Oh, okay. (laughs) So she actually got permission from Aubrey and Gloria, their parents, to interview the girls and to, like, have a open access and they even let her read their diaries hmm just kind of weird but i guess it was like evidence yeah you know okay okay she started writing about them when their initial trial was underway and she got to know them throughout 
What should have been just a few years at Broadmoor turned into 11 because, like I said, the doctors kept extending their time. Oh, my God. And their requests would just be dismissed. However, it was said that finally they would get transferred to a lower security center. So Marjorie went to visit the twins in jail and they were having tea, which I guess you do in British jail when you visit <laughs> inmates. Oh, would you like some biscuits? With your... Okay. I think tea is also another word for lunch. Oh, okay. Yeah, but... I love that. Yeah. Oh. So at this visit, she was talking to the girls and she said, oh, you know, I heard that you're going to be moved to a different center. And... Marjorie recalls they were having a normal, happy conversation. They were, like, giggling. They were having a good time because, you know, they, they've known each other this whole extent. Mm-hmm. And they became pretty close. And then suddenly Jennifer gets really quiet and she tells Marjorie, I have to die. <gasps> and Marjorie kind of, like, laughs and she's like, what? You have to die? Like, don't be silly. You're, you're not ill. You're like almost 30 you're about to leave Broadmoor like what do you mean you have to die and then Jennifer just repeated and said I have to die it's been decided and Marjorie said that she kind of panicked because after a while she realized how serious both the girls were and the twins said that they made a pact and Jennifer was going to die because they said the day they left Broadmoor one of them would have to give up their life to really enable the other one to be free. Oh, my God. Marjorie said she was incredibly unsettled by this, and Jennifer looked afraid and frail, and June looked very determined. Marjorie called the doctors and let her know, or or let the doctors know what she just heard and everything, and they assured her, like, the twins were under, like, very strict watch, like, nothing was going to happen. Mm. Famous last words. Right. Literally. Oh, my God. Um, so the day came that the girls would be released from Broadmoor, and they got into the car, and they're driving away, and they see the big iron gates of Broadmoor close behind them. And Jennifer says, at long last, we are out. She then proceeds to slump her head on June's shoulder, and she falls into a coma. What? They rush her to a hospital. And 12 hours later, Jennifer would be dead. Right? (laughs) What? So they did an autopsy report, and there was no evidence of poison, of anything odd. Her heart was swollen. Like, she had swelling in her heart, but they thought it was just because, like, the medication she was on weakened Mm. her immune system. But there was no toxins or anything that would have like led to this oh my god so it's super bizarre and this was obviously very hard on the family and for june of course and june didn't know what to do without her twin like they had kind of talked about how they wanted to be separated for so long but losing a loved one is is very hard and a year after her death june was actually released from the lower security Mm. um facility yeah so she takes medicine every day she's able to talk about her times but she's still obviously saddened by it uh she is still a little hard to understand but she has become pretty outgoing 
She said that she doesn't care to write anymore because now that she can talk, she doesn't really see the point. She wrote a lot of poems and stories and everything to cope with the loss of Jennifer, but she doesn't really anymore. And one of June's poems is actually on Jennifer's gravestone, and it reads, We once were two. We two made one. We no more two, though life be one. And that's the story of the silent twins. And most of these sources came from an article from The New Yorker called We Two Made One from 2000. Um, Marjorie wrote a book on the girls called The Silent Twins. I also watched a documentary from BBC, and there was also an interview with Marjorie um, from NPR. And they're actually going to make a movie about this with the girl who was in Black Panther who's going to play one of them. Yeah, Shuri. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wow. And then Tamara Lawrence is going to play one of the other twins, and she was in, it looks like a couple horror movies that I've never really heard of. But Wow. Yeah, so you can look for that. It's currently in post-production, but it's a very eerie one. There's some parts of it that just totally give me chills. I mean, it's always been known that twins have like a certain kind of bond, but mm-hmm. I don't know what led to this like extreme. I don't know if there was like trauma that happened or yeah, if they were just... I don't know. It's it's a weird one, but the fact that Jennifer like died like right when they left and they said that it would happen, I'm just baffled. Yeah, that's so weird. Because it doesn't sound real, but it's a real story. So it's just like how can you like choose to die like that? Like that's so weird. I don't know. Yeah. So I mean it's really sad. Like it's horrible that they weren't treated right, like from the gecko like they had a loving family and i bet it was really hard on the family because i'm sure they did everything they could but i it's a weird one so wow and to be sentenced for so long in that awful place that's yeah that's not okay but the documentary is on youtube um okay you can get marjorie's book on amazon for like 15 dollars the npr story is like 13 minutes long if you want to listen to it but I think it's it was a very interesting one it was one that I heard and it stuck with me for a while and it it just left me with so many questions like just how synchronized they were especially like even when they were apart they were doing like the same thing like I that's so bizarre I don't know I don't know how does it work are they were they psychic like maybe they did have like telepathy because maybe I don't know because I know that one teacher said you know, like one of them would just look at the other and they would like stop. So maybe they had some kind of maybe mind thing. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. It's crazy. That's so weird. I'm sorry that they had, you know, suffered. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm glad that June is, you know, she seems to be doing okay. Yeah, I hope so. So. Wow. Yeah. Huh. A lot to think about there. Lots to unpack. Well, thank you. Yep. Those are the silent twins. 
All right, here we go. I'm ready. So if you're in Chicago mm-hmm. and you go to the intersection of Lincoln Avenue, Southport, and Wellington, there is a building across the street from a well-known thrift store. And you may go in one day just out of curiosity or you may know already what you want out of this building but if you go in you sa- okay you sound right now like one of my sleep casts on headspace <laughs> this is a guided meditation <laughs> okay i'm so sorry for interrupting <laughs> no it's okay so if you go in i'm not 100 percent sure what will happen because i haven't been in there yet question mark but or have you they may give you a pamphlet they may make you watch an informative video oh no or they may sit you down and ask you what's bothering you right now and you might tell them and they might tell you we can help you with that is this (laughs) chick-fil-a no Have it's you ever pleasure. had that experience of Chick-fil-A? <laughs> well, they're just so nice and they're all like, it's my pleasure. But I'm like, you are corrupt. <laughs> Their CEO is horrible. I know. Okay. It's a horrible place. Okay. I'm sorry. We don't we don't patronize Chick-fil-A. We do not. I like this. their sauce, but I, I cut ties. I can't do it. Yeah. No, no. Bad okay. news. So, so no, I don't. <laughs> so sorry. And then they give you a book about something called Dianetics. And you're like, what? I've yeah, never what? heard of this. And it says stuff like, you don't really have to believe in this. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, that's okay too. And it's kind of a philosophy about life and, and how to become a higher version of yourself. Oh, So you're reading all this material and then they might ask you to sit down in a chair with Uh your eyes closed and then you're three feet away from someone else. I don't like that. Who's doing the same thing and you kind of like are just like sitting there with them and you're confronting them with your presence. And for some people, this is really powerful and moving Mm -hmm. and it turns them into a believer and... They decide, okay, I'm going to I'm going to follow this path, this Dianetics thing. It sounds like something I would be into. And yeah. And so then they're like, okay, we're going to start. And you sit down and they give you, well, first you have to pay them. <laughs> of course. This is not free. Nothing okay? is. And so they give you like these, they look like long metal cans, like these cylinders. I don't like where this is going. And they're attached by what looks like mini jumper cables to like this meter. So is it like one of those like tin can phones, but like for adults? Kind of, but they're actually attached to this meter and there's like a slight current of electricity running through them. Oh. And... It kind of looks like something that Ghost Adventures would use. I was about to say Bill <laughs> Chapel. I know. He probably rigged rigged one of those. <laughs> and so you're holding these things, these cylinders, as this 
electrical current is running through you and the person behind the meter is looking at the needle kind of go like moving Mm -hmm. with the electric current and this is called auditing and the person who's leading this is called the auditor and I guess you're the auditee I don't know and they're asking you like okay what's like what's bothering you why are you here what can we help you with? What like what's your trauma? What upsets you? They're trying to well, how much time do you have? <laughs> they're trying to get get into your psyche basically. Oh. And you're holding these things and every time they they say that every time you have like a thought about something that's traumatic or upsetting, the needle will move like really sharply on the meter. Oh. And they say, Okay. Tell me more. Like I, I see you I see the needle just move. Tell me what you just thought about. And then you kinda go through and go through and go through. And eventually they, you know, you, you, you tell them one thing and then they're like, okay, but how about before that in your life? And then you go back and back and back to the point where you're like, okay, like that's it. You know, like that's all I, that's all I got. Like, yeah, like, you know, I was two years old and I, this happened to me and, and that's all I remember. Right. And then they're like, look deeper. Maybe you have past life memories. Oh. And then... You go through those and eventually the goal here is to become what they call clear, which is where you're rid of all of these troubles, Yeah, troubles, anxieties, and you become like this higher person. And the, the goal of doing this, this auditing, they, this organization, they want everyone in the world to be able to do this, to be able to transcend and, and to reach this state of being clear and the goal is quote a civilization without insanity without criminals and without war where the able can prosper and honest beings can have rights and where man is free to rise to greater heights these are the aims of scientology (gasps) i thought so (laughs) i was like it's a cult it's a cult it's a cult it's oh <laughs> and that's a quote from Elron Hubbard. Oh my god. I Ooh. thought I thought this was I was like, it kinda okay. Oh my god. Yeah, have you Yay. <laughs> Have you seen that building? Like when yeah. the that Yeah, I have. Uh okay, cool. Oh god. Oh god. <laughs> I was like, oh that sounds kinda nice. Sign me up, and I'm like, wait a minute. Well that's how they they reel people in, you know, because it yeah. does sound kind of nice. It does sound nice. It just sounds like like therapy it does it i mean i don't know like what training these auditors have probably none but anyway tell me more i'm okay (laughs) so l ron hubbard or as scientologists call him for short lrh which i would do but i just feel really weird doing that (laughs) lord Lord. oh my lord He was born in Nebraska in 1911, and he traveled around the U.S. and settled in Montana for a while as a child. Nothing happens in Montana. He was... Montana's beautiful. Montana. (laughs) And, yeah, he traveled around the world a lot because I think his parents were in the military or something. Oh, another military family. Yeah. He was... Kicked out of George Washington University oh. for really low grades. Oh. And then, so he was kind of like, he did a bunch of like random stuff for a while. He he wasn't very good in school. But then he started writing books. And 
He actually holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the number of books published. He's published over a thousand books. Wow. Yeah. Are any of them good? I don't know. Okay. I haven't read them. (laughs) But when he started off, he was writing this like sci-fi pulp fiction. And did it actually get published and people thought it was like the Bible? Well, no. Oh. No, no. Like, okay. Just wait. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So he started off writing this pulp fiction. It was in the 30s during the Great Depression. Okay. And he like wrote a lot of words. They were paid by the words. So, you know, you just got a word vomit there a little bit. Were they really? I didn't know that. It was like a sense of word. I mean, people are still paid by the word. I was paid by the word when I was writing. Really? Yeah. Oh. And so his career really took off when he started to write for a magazine called Astounding Science Fiction. Oh. And yeah, he was a sci-fi fantasy writer into astronauts, shit like that aliens you know yeah. whatever you know i like sci-fi but sure eventually he took a lot of these concepts from his sci-fi stories and he included them into the cult that he would later <laughs> found so a little bit more about him uh he joined the military in i think 1941 and somehow they gave him the command of a one of those ships that like chases submarines and tries to sink them sure but he so he wrote these like reports that he like was sinking these submarines but actually he didn't sink any he mistakenly bombed logs rocks (laughs) and a mexican island (laughs) 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 and then i swear i thought it was a boat (laughs) and then he was fired (laughs) (laughs) he was really bad at that (laughs) so okay all right yeah that's funny that's good yeah in the meantime he was married he married uh someone before he joined the military okay but um and had like a couple kids with her but then they separated and and well you'll see okay so after he left (laughs) the military he moved to LA and you know how people in LA are like oh my god yes he made he found a group of friends that was like Hollywood very innovative um (laughs) that's one way yeah it's one way you can put it well innovative is not the word I would use um kind of like eccentric yeah sure we can say that one of them was named Jack Parsons he was a scientist, like a pretty well-known scientist, oh. and there's actually a moon crater named after him. Oh, neat. Yeah, but he, he was also the leader of a of a black magic cult oh. called OTO, which stand, stands for Ordo Templi Orientis, or Order of the Temple of the East. Okay. It followed the teachings of Alistair Crowley, and... Basically, Parsons' goal. Uh-oh. This is like this is so weird. Okay, he it sounds like something from a ghost show, but he wanted to do this ritual, and they would do these rituals all the time in his mansion in Pasadena, <laughs> where he was trying to communicate with a goddess, and he wanted to impregnate her so that they could together create the Antichrist. I don't know why he wanted to do this. Okay. Like, um. But he did. I have a lot of questions. I do too, and I have no answers. Okay, I, so I'll just 
I'll just I let them sit. I'm going to let them marinate for a bit. And... Maybe I'll do a part two just on him. <laughs> okay. On the Antichrist? Um, maybe. Well, maybe, but... Maybe. So Hubbard was Parsons' assistant in all of this. Uh-oh. He got wrapped up in the occult. I'm sure. Eventually, this woman named Marjorie showed up, and she was like this redhead. She was like, va-va-boom. Like, and she was like ritual to produce the antichrist yes i'm, I'm down i volunteer yes i volunteer <laughs> as tribute and then her and jack parsons actually got married oh and l ron hubbard ran off with jack parsons girlfriend <gasps> rude sarah northrup and so um yeah i want to say actually right now that this is very closely following the documentary called Going Clear, Scientology and the Prison of Belief. It's from 2015. Highly recommend and lots of good info. So yeah, check it out. That's where I got most of this information. Okay. Thank you. All right. So he runs off with Sarah, who is then his second wife. They get married. He was older than her, 10 years older than over 10 years older than her. But he had described himself to her as, like, this war hero, even though... I, like, blew up a lot of things. None (laughs) of them were what I was supposed to, but I blew up an island once. It was really cool. You had to be there. Pretty much. He's like, I sunk submarines, blah, blah, blah. I'm great. (laughs) Um, Which was a lie. (laughs) So they got married, him and Sarah. And the reason they got married was because they had a fight and he told her that if she didn't marry him, he would kill himself. Dude, that's extreme. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. But. Well, yeah, he was awful. He was, like, super abusive. Uh, she said one night she smiled in her sleep and he hit her across the face with a gun. <gasps> oh, my God. Because he said she was thinking about someone else. <gasps> So okay, it's like, the flags are red and they real are bad. waving. And he told her that if she tried to leave him, he would kill her. So it was Jeez. like really bad. Abusive. Like, this is horrible. Yeah. He's like, seems like a psychopath. He is. And so, yeah. So now it's 1950 and he starts writing another book. It's called Dianetics, the modern science of mental health. Uh-huh. And he published it and it was an international hit it was on the new york times bestseller list interesting and this became like the bible for scientology essentially and so yeah as as mentioned it's sort of like dianetics itself is is exactly what i described earlier it's trying to look at the things in your life that like upset you and then if you can describe them and yeah look at them in a more clear way than it loses its power to upset you, basically. Is it, is it kind of like when you accept your demons, you can... Yeah. Okay. Kind of. I mean, like, it doesn't sound like a bad no, concept. I'm, I'm not mad about at it. At first. Yeah. At, yeah. Right. So Sarah, his wife, said that Hubbard said, quote, the only way to make any real money is to have a religion, end quote. So, yeah, we, we'll see where that brings him. Uh-oh. But... Okay, so I'm going to go a little bit more into the Dianetics thing. Okay, so it says there's two sides of your mind, the analytical side of your mind, which is like this amazing, perfect computer. Okay. 
and he remembers everything and there's like nothing wrong with it oh my mine's very broken (laughs) it's beautiful and good okay and then there's the other side of your mind called reactive the Mm. reactive side Mm -hmm. where everything that, that like is upsetting to you and like you know triggers you and everything is like in this oh yeah part of your brain oh that's me yeah right and all the anxiety you have is coming from these things they call engrams okay. like memories they're kinds of memories like a movie clip yeah okay. exactly okay and so then yeah so then the the auditor sits with people audits them listens to what people have to say their troubles and everything and they use this e-meter, which I described, which has the needle and goes back and forth. And um, it's supposed to detect the mass of your thoughts. Don't know what that heavy. means. Heavy. Yeah. Heavy. <laughs> oh, uh, my God. You broke it. <laughs> yeah. And the point is, like, when you first think of the thought, like I said, the needle will, like, move sharply. And then the more you think about it and think about it, the needle, like, stops moving so sharply until it oh. kind of stand still and so then they're like oh then like then we can move on from that um yeah eventually you can delve into your past lives as i mentioned and people will have like visions of their past lives and confirm that those memories are real through the needle thing and people really enjoyed this it was like a huge hit like also because it feels good to talk about your problems right you know what i mean therapy everyone should do it right and the goal, as I mentioned, is to be clear, become clear, which means that you have erased the reactive mind and you just have the the analytical mind. And then, yeah, you're, you're clear. That's the goal. Okay. The claim was that your physical health would be way better and it would raise your IQ. Huh. I don't know if that's how that works, but... Yeah. So L. Ron Hubbard was, like, convinced... It wasn't a scam or anything in his mind. He was like... Um, it's genuine. This is the way. This is... Right. Like, this is real. I made this huge psychological breakthrough. And he would write to psychological organizations, read my book. Like, this is amazing. And they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so he also went on lecture tours and training tours. And he made a lot of money doing that. So his wife... Sarah thought he was scamming people, mm. and but he started to see himself as like this godlike expert, and he thought that the medical profession was so against him because they wanted to keep people sick because that's how they made money, and he was like mm. paranoid and he kind of like was spiraling, and so his wife was like, "If you don't get help, I'm gonna leave you." So he kidnapped their baby daughter. Oh, my God. And took her to Cuba. Dude. And he left her with some random, like, mother and daughter who apparently were, like, disabled and couldn't care for her. And they kept her in some kind of cage. Oh, my God. And then he called his wife, Sarah, and told her he killed their daughter and cut her up into pieces and dropped them into a river and that it was Sarah's fault. I'm going to vomit. Yeah. And then he called her back and was like, just kidding. I didn't do that. She's still alive. And he, like, kept doing that over and over. And then he came back to the U.S. And Sarah was like, I'm leaving you. Yeah. (laughs) And she got custody of their child. I don't know. Like, that's, that's, yeah, that's a lot. I'm sure that they changed their names. and and Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. Oh, my God. Um, And then he cleaned out all their bank accounts so she wouldn't have any money. Well, I I think she's better off. Better off without him. Yeah. Right. And then he lost a lot of money because the Dianetics thing was kind of like fading. It was kind of like a fad 
And okay. so then he's like, I need to revive this. Like, I need something. Mm. So he's like, I'm going to turn it into a religion because he knew that he would make more money if it was a religion. Yeah. Also, because if you have a church, it can't be taxed right. by the government. Mm-hmm. So he kind of like revamped it a little bit and added some stuff. But then he launched Scientology, his religion. He made people start paying for their auditing sessions. And like as you moved through the auditing, you had to go up these levels to become clear. And he kept adding more and more levels. It's like a pyramid scheme. Right. Knowing that people would pay for it. And he kept like raising the prices. So he's like, oh, you want to become clear? You have to just do these next five and then more, five more and blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Then in 1967, he petitioned to be tax exempt because he was a church, but the government was like, no, like, no, no, (laughs) you can't do that. And so the IRS started investigating him for tax evasion and he fled the country. But in the meantime, Scientology was spreading around the world, across continents, and yeah, it became this huge thing. According to the Scientology website, it says that Scientology is a religion that offers a precise path leading to a complete and certain understanding of one's true spiritual nature and one's relationship to self, family, groups, mankind, all life forms, the material universe, the spiritual universe, and the supreme being. Mm. Scientology addresses the spirit, not the mind or body. And believes that man is far more than a product of his environment or his genes. Hmm. And some of the fundamental truths of Scientology say that man is an immortal spiritual being. His experience extends well beyond a single lifetime. His capabilities are unlimited even if not presently realized. So, and the goal is true spiritual enlightenment and freedom for all. Okay. So it sounds like Nice. I mean, it does sound nice, and I feel... Yeah, it sounds nice. Right. Just wait. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. So, all right, so L. Ron Hubbard is fleeing the IRS because he hasn't been paying taxes on his fake church. (laughs) So, (laughs) he's like, I'm going to go out to sea. Okay. Okay. And and what, sink more submarines, (laughs) sir? Exactly. Because that worked so well the first time. Yes. Okay. Um, so he buys three ships, has this little like Scientology fleet, and he creates something called the Sea Org, which is like the people who are going to work on his boats. Okay. But they're like the most elite. It was considered like an elite position within the church. Okay. So if you're asked to be part of the Sea Org, like it's a pretty big deal. You're like a pope or whatever. Yeah, like a... Like a cardinal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're made to sign a contract pledging your service Um, to him for a billion years. (laughs) So, uh, it's a long time. Okay. And anyway, so this is in the late 60s, and uh, all these people, these Sea Sea Org people, were flown out to the Canary Islands, where he was hiding, (laughs) and... They were put to work cleaning these old ships, old dirty ships. Uh, and L. Ron Hubbard would hang out with them in the evenings. And he'd like point at the sky and talk about aliens and the stars and <laughs> and whatever. And then he kept sailing around the world with his sea organization. And 
they were in the Mediterranean for a while because he thought that in past lives he was different Italian princes and that he buried his treasure like all around the Mediterranean. So they were looking for it. Okay. <laughs> it's it's like that episode of SpongeBob where like the board game is based on a real treasure map. Oh yeah. That's not. Okay, go on. That's that's a little extreme. Okay. Okay, I'm I feel like I'm someone who knows their kid is lying right now and I'm just <laughs> waiting for them to continue. Like I yeah. just okay, go on. Go I know. on. Okay. <laughs> uh there he did a media interview where he told them he was studying ancient civilizations. So I guess he was doing that too. I don't know. He also had a system of what he called ethics where so while they're on the, these ships, they're auditing each other as well because they all want to be clear, of course. So they're constantly doing that as well. And if an auditor made a mistake in their session, they were thrown overboard. Oh. Well, I... Okay. Yeah. That, were they given a life jacket? I don't know. Oh, probably not. I don't know. Sad. In the 70s, <laughs> ports in the Mediterranean were like, no, like... You need to stop that. Like El Hubbard, <laughs> El Ron Hubbard, like, you're not welcome here. And Sorry. so they wouldn't let them dock. Nice. And then he was like, oh, fine. And so, so they <laughs> sailed to Florida. <laughs> okay. And he snuck into Florida. Not surprising. Not like, I don't I mean, think it was hard. Yeah. And then he was in hiding for the rest of his life. Oh. He made it to California, too. And he was like kind of running the church at this point behind the scenes had grown a lot there were lots of scientologists in the world and some famous people started joining or at least checking it out like the grateful dead and leonard cohen Mm. and they decided they were going to specifically try to pitch it to celebrities because they wanted them to spread the word so they bought a celebrity center in 1969 in hollywood They brought in Priscilla Presley and John Travolta and Tom Cruise. So, yeah. So, John Travolta, as you know, is a Scientologist. A colleague gave him a book on Dianetics when he was young. And he was kind of going through a rough time. I don't know why. But he was like, finally, something that will help me. I feel heard. And then he started becoming really, really successful in his acting career and got like really confident and he was like he thought that if he left the church everything would start to go wrong because he kind of felt like Scientology was the reason he was so successful because it happened okay I could see okay okay yeah so in this documentary they talked to a lot of former Scientologists and former like senior members of the organization and one of them said that that one of the mindsets they try to cultivate in people is that everything good that happens to you is because of Scientology and everything bad that happens to you is your fault. That sounds like an abusive person, let me tell you. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, so part of the rank of like being clear, so being clear (laughs) is like the top, right? Right. But on the way, when you get closer towards the top to be clear you can become an ot which is an operating thetan okay and a thetan is the spirit or soul inside of a person okay and people thought that once you reach that level of ot you could get special abilities like telekinesis and like reading minds and stuff Ooh. 
And when you become an OT, you get access to these secret materials that were handwritten by L. Ron Hubbard, which you have to keep in a locked suitcase. Done. Done. And be, and the reasoning behind that is that if people read it and they're not prepared, they're not at that level, it could really hurt them. It, they probably say, like, these nuts or something. <laughs> Can you imagine you devote your whole life and it's like I finally get to read the sacred script and it's like <laughs> oh my god well that makes more sense than what it actually says oh so you know uh, yeah yeah oh okay. it's like it's a really weird it's a whole sci-fi narrative <laughs> okay um with like galactic overlords and stuff like that okay so this is the creation myth of Scientology this is like the information the secret information that you get 75 million years ago, okay. people lived in a world a lot like the U.S. Mm-hmm. in the 1950s. So this is 75 million years ago. Oh, okay. But, and it was ruled by a tyrannical overlord of the Galactic Confederacy named Xenu. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and they had a problem with overpopulation. And so Xenu's solution was... To call people in to like government administrative buildings to do their taxes and then like freeze them. And then they would put them in these boxes and and bring them to the prison planet, which is what we call Earth. So where we live. Okay. That was their prison planet. And they would drop these boxes with like these frozen people inside them into the volcanoes on the planet. And then they would drop hydrogen bombs on the volcanoes. Okay. <laughs> Is this how the dinosaurs got extinct? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Okay. And then, okay, so so these people are dead at this point. Obviously. Because <laughs> they got dropped into a volcano and then a bomb <laughs> dropped on top of them. Okay. And so um, their disembodied spirits called Thetans would float out and they were captured by whom i don't know Dinosaurs. but they were captured and they were forced to sit these spirits you are forced sit to sit what you in did. front of movie screens showing these various images of like life and conflict and stuff like that i why i don't know okay okay and then so nowadays when a baby is born one of these thetans will come into the baby and it becomes their soul so they're like reborn almost and more than one thetan can occupy a body oh but these thetans are the source of the anxiety in the reactive mind so to be clear you have to basically like purge these spirits that live inside your body okay okay (laughs) Um, the backstory is like very bizarre. I don't know what L. Ron Hubbard was on, but you, you know what would have been better than these nuts if mm-hmm. it like you opened it and it said, "We've been trying to reach you about your car's extended <laughs> warranty." <laughs> have you been negatively affected by mesothelium? <laughs> the famous uh, Graham Pazer <laughs> Horrifying. No way. Horrifying. <laughs> So these these people who like reached this OT level, like learned this information and they were like, what? They were like, excuse me. They were like, I thought I was coming in here to like. Be a good person. Yeah, like Like, better myself through like talk therapy. And now you're telling me like. (laughs) That I have thetans inside of me? I have like spirits in my body that I need to, you know, whatever. And so people started having like nervous breakdowns because they were like, I'm infested with aliens. 
like they thought they were and it was like because they're like i thought i was clear right but now i have these aliens inside me oh my god (laughs) anyway um i hate when that happens i know me too at one point l ron hubbard believed that he had like a really powerful fetus inside of him like possessing his body and that regular auditing was not enough to make it leave and he actually asked one of the people in his church to like help kill him so he could like release it which he didn't help kill him but he's like no man I'm, it was okay. like yeah <laughs> okay oh my god so l ron hubbard died of a stroke in 1986 it was the thedon probably well following his his death the leaders in the church said that his body had become an impediment to his work and that he had decided to drop his body to continue his research on another plane of existence. AKA he died. He died. Okay, okay. So, Aaron Hubbard's gone. There's a power vacuum. Who is going to lead the church? John Travolta. No. Oh. This guy named David Misk- Miskovich. Okay? Miskovich. And he's still the leader of the church of scientology okay today he joined the church when he was 11 okay with his parents and he kind of became really close to l ron hubbard he was like his assistant on certain things he claimed auditing cured his asthma oh he was like an extreme believer like people today at least in the documentary from 2015 said that they really thought that he truly believed in it because if he ever stopped it would like destroy him it was it's like his life okay And so he eventually rose up and became the leader of the church. John Travolta had this, basically, she was like a liaison between him and the church. She like helped him with a lot of stuff, kind of like an assistant. They were really close. Her name was Spanky. Spanky. I mean, that's still her name. She's alive. And she, I don't remember what she did. She did something or said something where the church leaders were like, that goes against... Scientology. Uh, so they sent her to this thing called the Rehabilitation Project Force. Oh no! Which is essentially a prison camp. Holy! For reindoctrination, it's on the seventh floor of their headquarters in Hollywood. Oh no! And they would send people there, like whenever they did something that was like a- against or seemed to be against the church. And when she got there, there were like a couple hundred people there, and they made them do like backbreaking work. What? Like scrubbing the floor with a toothbrush kind of thing and then they slept on wet mattresses on the roof and do just do like hard labor and then do five hours a day of scientology training that's and it was messed up and then her children were removed and well they did this to all the children of the people in the sea org they were moved and raised in the cadet org which is like the children's group like the boy scouts of scientology yeah um because children were kind of seen as like a distraction from their ultimate purpose in scientology so a lot of people were even encouraged to have abortions because they're like you shouldn't have this child oh my it'll, god it'll distract you from being a scientologist okay oh. yeah okay Jeez. and then when spanky got out of this awful place she called the police well, no. Okay. She, since she had been friends with John Travolta, like, he didn't know what happened to her. She did, he did, she just, like, disappeared, basically. Oh, God. And they were like, hey, can you call him and arrange a private screening of Saturday Night Fever? <gasps> and so she did. And John Travolta was like, 
sure, like, you can use my copy of the film, but I, I want to, like, hang out with Spanky and, like, talk R- to her. Right. But then after the screening, they made her cancel her plans with him. So they, like, totally manipulated her. And he, I think he kind of realized that. And he mm-hmm. was like... I'm going to back away. Well, no. Oh. Well, what she did is she actually escaped. She picked up her daughter um, from the cadets who was, like, really ill because they didn't take care of the kids. And a friend basically came and picked her up and they, like, sped away because she, like, always had a bodyguard with her because, like, they wouldn't let her leave. Yeah. And so everyone on the or in the documentary was like yeah john travolta like he kind of was realizing what was happening and he did nothing like why didn't he do anything one theory is that when auditing is happening they record everything they take a look really meticulous notes Mm. and if they have any information that's like dangerous it's shared like with other people in the church and they would have cameras in the auditing rooms like recording okay and John Travolta, when he realized that, he's like, no, I don't want this. So they like were like, okay. And they would like do it somewhere else. But so they, shady. But they had secret cameras. So blackmail. Yeah. So they, the church, they were very, very experienced in blackmail. And they would purposely collect like damaging information on people in the church. That is not okay. So that they could, yeah. Hold it over. Use it against their, them yeah. in case they wanted to speak out or something. Oh, my God. So people think they had something on him. and But at the same time, the church was also helping him, like, with negative PR and stuff. And so they were kind of doing him favors. And so, yeah, when they were in be- being investigated at one point, he would testify in court for them and stuff. So, yeah. So he's still in it. And, yeah. So 10 years after Miskovich became the leader of the church, he was, like, freaking out. Because the church had been evading taxes this whole time. Because mm-hmm. L. Ron Hubbard was like, churches shouldn't need to pay taxes, even though the IRS was like, you're not a church. Right. But they'd never pay taxes. Hmm. So they had over a billion dollars <gasps> like they that they owed oh. in back taxes. Oh, my God. And so Miskovich was like, we need to be tax exempt. Like, we need to do this or else we're going to just go under. Like, we were a billion dollars in debt. Right. So he had this whole, like, this whole, like, he had this whole convention where he was like, supporters, we need your help. And they filed 2,400 lawsuits against the IRS, including against some of its individual employees, just to create this, like, chaotic atmosphere, basically, like a a witch hunt, a smear campaign. They were trying to uncover anything they could about the IRS where they were doing things that were even vaguely corrupt. And then someone let it slip to the IRS guys. They're like, you know, if you make us tax exempt, like, we'll stop. And they were like, okay. So in 1993, (laughs) they made the Church of Scientology tax exempt and they forgave the billion dollars in debt. What? Yeah, I know. And so Miskovich was like, hell yeah, I did that. And he was like, now I'm in control. And he started asking people to donate more and more money. They just have so much money, like billions of dollars. And they invest in real estate all over the world. So they're just like constantly accruing wealth. And the people in the Sea Org make between 6 and 40 cents an hour. 
So basically, it's like slave labor. Yeah, it is. And so they don't really have to pay for that. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, okay. And so, so then Tom Cruise, okay? Tom Cruise came in and him and Miskovich were really good friends in the 90s. But then Tom Cruise married Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. And her father was a psychologist in Australia who was really well known. Right. Um, making her father what they called a suppressive person because oh. they were like against modern psychology sure. and stuff like that. And so that made Nicole Kidman a potential trouble source with, with, or PTS. And so Tom Cruise was married to her. And so he was kind of like, they were really suspicious of her. And so the time they were married from 92 to 2001 he was not as involved with the church and Miskovich was like freaking out because he's like Tom Cruise you know mm-hmm. he was like Tom Cruise is like the greatest a, he's my guy a celebrity spokesperson yeah. basically we really need him so he asked people to organize a breakup of their marriage they would send so Tom Cruise was still like doing auditing and stuff and his reports would be sent to Miskovich. They actually tapped Nicole Kidman's phone and Miskovich would listen to her phone calls. And once they got divorced, they tried to make sure the custody of the children went to Tom Cruise and they tried to like convince the children that their mom was a suppressive person and like evil and against the church. So it's like really bad. And then in 2004, Tom Cruise was back in the the church. He was like very, very into it. They made up this medal that they would give him just to like make him feel good about himself. And he was sort of like a worldwide ambassador of this Church of Scientology. They built him limos. They helped decorate his airplane hangar. They basically give him whatever he wants. They said one time him and Nicole Kidman like wanted to run through a meadow together and they tried to organize that. <laughs> like, I, you know that scene in Twilight? Kind of weird. Like, <laughs> exactly. recreate it. He got total VIP treatment. One time he even mentioned offhand to someone that he wanted a new girlfriend <gasps> and they found one for him. Her name is Nazanin Boniati and she was a Scientology member, a young, younger person. And she was essentially, like, told, like, okay, we have an assignment for you. It's really special. And they trained her. They kept her in a hotel for a month and were, like, trying to train her. She broke up with her boyfriend. She got this whole makeover. They, like, took off her braces, spent $20,000 on luxury clothes for her. And she didn't know why. Like, she was told that it was because she was going to go to conferences and with world leaders and she had to look her best. But actually, they flew her out to New York and were like, okay, you're going to be Tom Cruise's girlfriend. okay and she was like oh well all right (laughs) yeah she was like okay um (laughs) but (laughs) then one time a while later because her and tom cruise were living together miskovich came to visit and she like had a headache and had a hard time understanding him because i I didn't think like english was her first language or something and then everyone got really mad at her and like tom cruise freaked out and like was like visibly angry and then she was told like okay you're you're actually not with tom cruise anymore we're breaking up you guys and then they destroyed all the photos of them and she was really upset by this and she told a friend and then the word got out that she told her friend and so they made her clean the public toilets with a toothbrush in the church building 
but they deny all of this. Of course. And she signed an NDA, so she can't talk. So also in 2004, so Miscavige like got kind of like L. Ron Hubbard. He kind of got more and more paranoid over time. Sure. And he was like, I need to get rid of the senior leadership internationally because like he wanted full control. Uh-oh. We all know how that ends up. Yeah. So in 2004, he took a bunch of these like senior leaders of the church and he brought them to one of their bases in California and he made them live in these two trailers called The Hole. And they had bars over the doors and the windows. Like they weren't allowed to leave. They were being held there. Okay. And they were being audited all day and they were told like to leave. They needed to come up with what each other's crimes were against the church. Like, they need to rat each other out. And they were made to do these really dehumanizing things. Like, one had to mop the bathroom floor with his tongue. <gasps> Another one had water poured on him and was made to sit under an air conditioner until he turned blue. Oh, my God. And then Miskovich would come and literally, like, beat these people. Like, this, the leader of the church would come and, like, kick them, punch them. Like, yeah. Some people were in the hole for up to seven years. Seven years. Yeah. And the thing was that they were so brainwashed that they didn't want to leave. Like they thought they deserved it. Or yeah. Like, oh like one God. guy said that like when Miskovich was beating him up, he was like, on the one hand, he was like, this isn't normal. On the other hand, he was like, what must I have done to like deserve this? Like, Thank you. Right. And so like one example was one time they played musical chairs and he said the people who lost would be kicked out. Which you think would be a good thing because right. it's like, let me out. But they were literally like fighting each other to like stay and to win because they were so brainwashed. They're like, I have to like, this is my cult, I guess. Musical chairs. Like, okay. That's like, okay. Yeah. So eventually a lot <laughs> of these senior people left the church. They saw the lights and they were like, yeah, this is not normal. I need to leave. My ride's here. Yeah. And then all of their ex-wives who were still in the church and who were actually in the hole still, they went on Anderson Cooper and denied that the church ever did anything wrong. Anderson Cooper was like, so I've heard reports that, you know, there's been abuse and all this, all these horrible things. And all the wives are like, absolutely not not like, in my house. all this stuff when in reality they came out of the hole to go on anderson cooper and they were being sent back afterwards yeah they were coached on what to say and it's like horrible other people started leaving the church at least that they talked about in the documentary one guy learned that his daughters were being harassed for being gay so he left because the church is against gay people and, and so when someone left or someone did something that the church didn't agree with, they would break up families, essentially. It's called disconnecting. So one person who left, like literally this, so this man left and his wife and all of his kids disconnected from him. So wow. like never talked to him, like no contact. Oh my God. Because yeah, it's, yeah. They're also harassed and stalked, the people who left. And the church will start smear campaigns against them and try to threaten the things that are most important to them, like for years and years. One guy had a surveillance house across the street from his house for five years where the church would like, people from the church would just be in there watching him every day. I hate that so much. Yeah. 
They call the people who leave squirrels. Squirrel. So the church is very aggressive to people who criticize it and the people who leave. The concept is uh, organized by L. Ron Hubbard. It's called fair game. And it means that whoever criticizes the church or leaves, they'll do whatever needs to be done, no matter how bad or illegal. (laughs) So like back in the 70s, they would break into government offices and steal documents on them and stuff. The FBI raided them a few times. Uh, One reporter who was reporting on them, they poisoned their dog. And they would hire private investigators to harass people, follow people, slash their tires, frame people for things they didn't do, because all of this was protecting the church. And that was the main goal. Oh, my God. So, yeah, that's... The Church of Scientology. In in 2014, membership globally was less than 50,000, but they still keep making money because they keep buying real estate. So they have over $3 billion in assets. And one of the weird things, it's kind of random, but kind of not, is Miskovich's wife, Shelly, was last seen in public in August 2007. Um. And no one knows... Like, no one knows 100% what happened to her or what she's up to. I don't like that. Some people have theories that she's been hurt or murdered or that she's being held against her will. I'm sure. Which is, like, horrible, obviously. Oh, my God. Um, In 2013, someone who I think was, like, an ex-Scientologist filed a missing persons report. And the police actually, like, went and found her. So, they're like, she's she's alive. Like, she's fine. She's just, like, living her private life or whatever. Blink twice if you need help. Right. And then in... In 2018, that's the last update where someone was in contact with her and said, like, she's still living her private life. Um, But, yeah. Oh, my God. So, it's, like, real weird. And then in in response to this documentary specifically, the Church of Scientology, they took out full-page ads in the New York Times and LA Times to, like, be like, this is totally incorrect. Everything about it is wrong. And... They essentially just like, like not, th- not they here. tried to influence like film critics and they tried to influence the Oscars as well because it was nominated for some Academy Awards, I think. Wow. But yeah, that's Scientology. It's really, really weird and also really sad that so many people are like caught up in this and that it ruins their familiar relationships and that people are because like there's the people who are like being abused and whatever and then there's the people who are like super rich and like living the high life like tom cruise right yeah i don't know it's really awful religion no matter what it should be a safe place and it shouldn't be right held over your uh, especially because they make so much money off of it right and, uh, yeah, people are just indoctrinated into this because they start out like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And then well, it like picks on vulnerable things. It's like you start to trust it and it's like, right. Oh, we'll help you out. Yeah. And you can never leave. And then they're like 75 million years ago. <laughs> aliens dropped. were dropped into bodies. And into- now their ghosts are living in your body and causing you to be anxious. Well, I want that ghost to leave. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. What was that documentary called? 
It's called Going Clear, Scientology and the Prison of Belief. It's based on a book by a guy named Lawrence Wright, who is in the documentary as well. And has a lot of interesting knowledge. But yeah, I kind of want to go to like the Chicago Scientology building and just like see what they do, like see what happens. But I kind of don't. It kind of really freaks me out. It, it. I mean, I'd go with you, but like to make sure you're okay but i don't i don't yeah like i kind of wanted you to but i'm so scared i know i feel like it's like playing with a ouija board it's like oh should i do I it know. like it could be really bad my dad said he went to a site he like went into a scientology building why, once why am i not surprised <laughs> like because he was like what is this and they gave him a flyer and made him watch a video or something but i'm glad he's okay <laughs> yeah i hope he's not a secret scientologist yeah wow that is bananas. That's, um, I mean, okay, whatever your religion, like I respect all religions, you're welcome to have your own beliefs. Don't be a dick. Don't, don't torture right. people. Like what? I don't right. know. I don't have anything to say that that's going to keep me up. I'm going to go down a <laughs> rabbit hole and then someone's going to knock on our door and be like, so... I heard you were insulting my ancestors from 75 million years ago. <laughs> I have a yeah. bone to pick with you. Ooh. How dare you talk about the church like that? Yeah. Wow, dude. Yeah. I just, I don't like the manipulation and the root is just for money. I just, mm. And it's almost like I wonder if like John Travolta is like, actually thinks it's good or if, if they're still blackmailing him I, you know what I mean? it, no i feel like he's like right like a thumbs up and smiling but in his eyes he's like help me right it's horrible um well geez that was a wild one for sure this was <laughs> 37 let me tell you yours was wild too man yeah twins twins i mean i can't imagine that to begin with but let alone have them have that synchronicity i i don't yeah, even know it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot <laughs> let us know what kept you up let us know what you thought let us know your favorite bible verse from the book can read the book of dianetics right. let me know don't well, i don't know i'm not going to recommend that i'm i'm just gonna stop talking thank you all so much for listening we really appreciate it it means so much we thank you love to thank the artists that have helped us is that what i normally say yeah yeah we would love to thank the artists that have helped us our music is composed by colin whitlish and music production is by justin tomb and our cover art is by erica chase would you like to tell them where to find us you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and send us an email at theinsomniareport at gmail.com to submit your own listener report, suggest ideas for future episodes, or just say hi. We would love to hear from you. If you also feel so inclined, you can like, share, subscribe, and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really means a lot. It makes our day. But you don't have to. It's all good. We would love for you to join us next week for another paranormal story spooky ooky i'm margo and i'm elizabeth thank you again stay sleepy and spooky good night good night
Dude. 